0: Hello, America. Happy Thursday, a difficult Thursday if you're in the economic business or monitoring the economy. New economic statistics came out for gross domestic product GDP, a second straight quarter of economic decline. The American economy contracted for the second time. That means six consecutive months of contraction. And under any other president, that was called a recession. But not in this world. Nope, not with the mainstream media, Joe Biden. They've tinkered their definition to give them some room to say, it's not technically a recession. Well, it is a recession, but the definition we've used for the last six decades, America tipped into a recession, as just the news properly used in its headline and in its lead today on the economic indicators. We've got a great lineup for you today. Congressman Austin Scott, one of my favorite guests, always ahead of the curve, always looking down at the horizon Trying to find where the next big problem, where the next big solution is. If you go back and you remember the early start of John Solomon reports, Congressman Scott came on and said, hey, the border is going to make every border a border state. He was right. It came true. He warned that fentanyl would go crazy with the cartels if Joe Biden didn't tighten up the border. It did. 107,000 poisonings last year. He warned that the Biden approach to Russia in the months leading up to the Russia-Ukraine war would not stop Vladimir Putin and, in fact, would embolden him. That happened. Vladimir Putin went in, didn't fear Joe Biden or his threats one bit. He warned just a few months ago on this very show that we were headed towards a global food crisis, and now the rest of the world has caught up with that assessment. He's a former military man. He is a careful, thoughtful, strategic thinker particularly on things of national security. And he's got a new concern, one that I think we all should share with a lot more urgency than maybe what the Biden administration has done. And that is that communist China is buying up farmland in America. They're buying up assets in America, trying to squeeze us off of our own food supply chain. He's got a new letter out there. He's got some legislation he's working on to get bipartisan support on China owning our farmland. That can't be a good outcome. And you don't hear it from the Biden administration, you don't really hear it from most of the mainstream media, but Congressman Austin Scott on the case, he's also on the case of that food crisis because it is getting worse, and 609 bodies have been found at the U.S. southern border, meaning that 609 migrants making the trip under the promise of Joe Biden's open borders died getting here. That's not humane. And Congressman Scott has a lot to say about that because it is not the humanitarian picture that the Biden administration is creating. In fact, between the rape and the deaths, it's the most inhumane way any time in American history. People have been forced to migrate here. The cartels own the pathways. They leave those behind who they find weak or annoying to die in the desert. They rape the young women and the young children. They take the men and make them long-term indentured service so that they're muling drugs or other things after they get into this country. That is not humane It is not the way America was meant to be an immigrant nation. The pathway through Ellis Island, a much better way to legally, lawfully enter this country. But we're going to ask Congressman Scott about that as well. All right. And then after that, because we had such bad economic news today, no better person to make sense of it than, you know who, Steve Moore, former Trump economic advisor, current economic expert at the Heritage Foundation. Really one of the most entertaining, fun, insightful, smart On the money, economists anywhere in the country, Democrats and Republicans alike love him. They may not always agree with him, particularly the Democrats don't, but he makes the economy fun, energetic. You can chuckle while also understanding the gravity of the moment that we find ourselves in in American history, in this economy, the Biden economy, which is Bidenomics are squeezing everyday Americans in ways we haven't seen in 40 to 50 plus years. Just think about that. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, go to Congressman Austin Scott in a second. But before we do, I like the fact that I've been reporting here in 30 years. And every so often, a name crops up that, well, I was pretty familiar with long before. Because in the bureaucracy of the federal government, there are longtime survivors, and they seem to come up in similar scandals, controversies, concerns often. And so if you were listening to the podcast on Monday and Tuesday when Senator Chuck Grassley put out that explosive letter, the revelation that there was a group of whistleblowers, not one, but several, and one or more of them in the senior leadership of the FBI, warning that there is a politicalization of law enforcement activities inside the FBI and Justice Department, opening up investigations on people without a proper predicate, probably conservatives, were blocking or trying to find an excuse not to investigate people who probably are Democrats. And one of the names that came up is the longtime elections branch crime's chief, Richard Pilger. And once the name came up, man, the light bulb in my head went, poof, I remember this guy. Why? He was in the middle of the Lois Lerner IRS tax scandal. A lot of reporters haven't put this together. This is an important piece. Back when Lois Lerner was amping up trying to target conservative nonprofits and put them through the IRS grinder, this was during the Tea Party movement, and we call it the Tea Party IRS scandal. It's its history. Well, Congress did a thorough investigation afterward, as did the Tax IG, the Special Tax Inspector General for the United States. And one of the things that we found out is they were trying to concoct multiple ways in the Obama administration to attack nonprofits that were run by conservatives. By the way, they weren't targeting liberals this way or independents this way. It was really about that. She, Lois Lerner, and Richard Pilger, the Director of Election Crimes Branch at the Justice Department, engaged in a series of conversations, I believe, These occurred back in the summer and spring and summer of 2013 is what I remember. And Pilger comes up with an idea of how to get around. There's some things that the IRS couldn't figure out to do, but they really want to attack these conservative nonprofits. And Pilger reaches out, appears unsolicited from the email, and comes up with the idea that maybe the way to get them is to bring false statement prosecutions because they claim they're going to be nonprofits, these conservative groups did. And then in the interpretation of these, Democrats, by the way, the Inspector General never found this. Most of these ended up, after all the audits and everything, they were cleared, They were fine. But Richard Pilger came up with the idea. Let's just charge them with false statements. They said they wouldn't do politics, and they're doing politics. So they lied on their 1024 IRS tax forms. Let me read you the famous email that Congress made public in the summer of 2014 in its epic report on the real story of the Lois Lerner scandal, not the one you got in the Washington Post or New York Times. This is Lois Lerner writing to one of her colleagues, Nicole Flax, I think was chief of staff to the acting commissioner of the IRS during the time when all the targeting of conservative Tea Party groups are going. Lois Leonard writes, I got a call today from Richard Pilger, director of election crimes branch at DOJ. I know him from contacts from my days there. He wanted to know who at IRS and the DOJ folks could talk to about Senator Whitehouse's idea at the hearing that DOJ could piece together false statement cases about applicants who lied in their 1024 saying they weren't planning on doing political activity. Then turning around and making large visible political expenditures, DOJ is feeling like it needs to respond, but wants to talk to the right folks at IRS to see whether there are impediments from our side and what, if any, damage this might do to IRS programs. So he comes unsolicited and says, hey, let's let's take this politician's idea, see if we can weaponize it, find a new way to go after these 501c3 groups that were the Tea Party groups, the Tax Party groups, Christine O'Donnell, one of the more famous ones who got put through the ringer, though ultimately didn't really get in much trouble because they didn't find much. These are the sort of things that remind us that this politicalization has been a slow, gradual, but continuing process inside the process. And you know, these emails continue uh, even beforehand. There was a lot of effort by the IRS to warm up the media to what they were doing, to make a case that it was okay to go after conservative nonprofits. And there's one time where Jack Smith at the Justice Department, writes them. And Richard Pilger is in on this. And basically, they're talking about New York Times articles, USA Today articles. They were trying to politicize or weaponize, potentially, the enforcement authority that the IRS and the DOJ had. Same name, same guy, different scandal. Now he's involved in the FBI whistleblower scandal. Before that, the lowest learner one, a reminder that there are these guys in government that, well, they live on. But sometimes their handiwork follows the same bend, the bent. And I think that that's what you're seeing here today. That story will be up on Just Deuce. You get it early because you're a John Solomon Reports podcast listener. But tomorrow we'll have a full story. You can see the documents, see the congressional evidence, and be reminded of exactly what was going on with Richard Pilgrim in an earlier era that has echoes of the today concerns. Raised by Chuck grassy Ron Johnson, Jim Jordan all who have raised very important issues on this matter. All right, let's go take that commercial break. When we come back, first up, Congressman Austin Scott from the great state of Georgia after this commercial message. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Our next guest has been spot on in everything. When you hear it from him, but usually three months later, the rest of Washington catches up to him. He is the great congressman from the state of Georgia, Congressman Austin Scott. Sir, great to have you on the show today.
1: Hey, John. Thanks for having us.
0: You called the food crisis. You called the Russia crisis. Uh, and now you are raising a red flag about something that I think every American is going to dial into very quickly. The Communist Chinese are buying up farmland and other assets in the United States. They probably don't have our best intention with those purchases, do they?
1: Absolutely not, and if you control the land, you control the food supply, and if you look at what China has done since the invasion of Ukraine, China says they're not going to allow exports of uh, rice and other products that they grow in their country And now, you know, they're buying farmland inside the United States. This is something that um, we should have acted sooner than we have on this. But we certainly don't need our adversaries buying up the cropland inside the United States. And outside of cropland, they do try to buy land close to our military bases. That's, you know, obviously for spying and for for, uh, no purpose that is in the best interest of the United States. But um, we're going to have to we're going to have to reassess uh, what is happening with um, these these countries like uh, communist China buying land inside the United States.
0: You know, it's really interesting to watch the history of security in America because we always were ahead of security threats for all even going back to pre-World War II. And we always had people that were looking out over the horizon with binoculars saying, that's a problem. <clears throat> Let's get on top of it today, particularly with China, maybe because China does so much business and we we were addicted to the, the business side of their economy. Uh, we seem to always be finding out things after the fact. I mean, our, our our FBI directors gave two epic speeches in the last six months warning, but it seems like a lot of people get surprised Well, they're buying up our land in the middle of a food shortage. Well, I guess they are. You're one of the few people that keep those binoculars out there. What can Congress do? what? Is there bipartisan support maybe for going and doing some legislation that puts restrictions on Chinese farmland purchases?
1: I, I think there will be. And, and the other thing that can happen, uh, John, is as we raise awareness at the national level, the states can also restrict the ability to purchase property inside their states. And some states have actually moved uh, to restrict corporate ownership uh, of, of farmland. And I'm certainly talking with state legislatures and in 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 georgia about about things that maybe we at the state level could do uh a little better but but this is uh, the john these people are not our friends they are our enemies and uh it is communist china it is a it is a country that uh does not believe in human rights uh, they certainly don't care about the united states of america or our citizens and um you know, a tremendous amount of fentanyl actually, you know, originates in China that makes its way into the United States. And so, uh, the issue with them buying land is is about their ability to control food supply. Uh, this is something we can't allow to happen. And, and I do think that we will get to a bipartisan resolution on this.
0: Yeah, that's going to be important. Having both parties stand with one voice against China is going to make us look a lot stronger in the world stage, even if we have a weak president right now. On that point, Nancy Pelosi has scheduled a trip to go to Taiwan. Newt Gingrich, from the great state of Georgia, of course, says that she should go and other Republicans and Democrats should go in unity to send a message. Where do you stand on that? What do you think about that?
1: Uh, China does not get to tell the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives uh, where they can and cannot fly uh, unless it is inside uh, the territory of Communist China. Uh, she would have to have permission from Communist China to go into uh, their country, but but the Speaker of the House of Representatives does not have to have permission from China to go anywhere else. And the fact that they think we do uh, simply tells you how aggressive they are with regard to uh, you know their attempt to manipulate and dominate the world. Yeah, no
0: doubt. For the first part of my career in this town, we had most favored nation status, which meant every year China would have to come to the United States and say, you know what, we have to prove to you that we're good people, that we're making progress on human rights, that we're playing fairly economically. We erased those in the late 90s. Newt Gingrich has been on this podcast saying may have been the biggest mistake he made in his career allowing that vote. Are we at a point or is there a moment where Congress might go back and say, you know what, China is so poking us in the eye now, maybe it's time to go backwards to something like an MFN relationship with them. What's the sentiment in Congress for taking a lot tougher action against China?
1: It 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 has honestly not been discussed much, John. I, I will tell you there's a growing sense of frustration with uh corporate America and in that inside of the borders of the United States, corporate America seems to have uh this ESG standard, whether it be regard to human rights or uh, energy, and they have that um, that stance inside the United States. But as soon as they leave the borders of the United States, they no longer care about ESG. And so they have spent billions and billions of dollars in China, giving China a competitive advantage over us in manufacturing, because they don't have to comply with uh, the labor laws that we do, the environmental laws that we do, and so and so, I would tell you it it is the double standard from corporate America that that I hear more about, and the frustration from uh, a lot of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, in that you know you've got a you've got an ESG standard uh, inside the United States, but but if that truly is your uh, corporate um creed or 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 whatever you want to call it then why does it change when you leave america because it, it, if if we don't burn coal in the united states but china burns coal uh 24 hours a day 7 days a week uh with more emissions you know per pound of coal burned than 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 we have because we actually do try to do it uh in a w- with respect to to the environment w- what have you done uh you know other than make other than make it worse and so, and so the frustration that i see is with um the standard inside the united states and you see now where the the far left is trying to take that standard uh into the sec with gary gensler and and have an esg uh governance statement or standard for uh corporations well it If you're going to have that standard, it can't be just for what those companies are doing inside the United States of America. You can't give them a gold star for what they're doing in America if they're turning around and going to China and ignoring the environment altogether and ignoring human rights altogether. And yet that's what I expect Gary Gensler will do.
0: Yeah, boy, it's a scary time. And it's funny, I think...
1: Yeah, whose side are you on? Yeah,
0: listen, and it seems like corporate America and their apologists in the government are willing to trade short-term profit, short-term revenue for long-term loss of American supremacy, American security. And that's a bad trade. It's never worked out well in the history of the world making that trade. And I think you got a really impression point that we got to keep educating people on. I want to turn to another subject that you have been so eloquent on, and there are so many consequences of the open border, but one of them is the very people trying to get here are dying in much larger numbers. Uh, We're not even through the full fiscal 2022 year. Already 609 bodies have been recovered crossing our border. That's more than double that happened in the last two or three years of President Trump's watch. A lot of concerns that we've made an inhumane and actually lethal pact to the United States under Joe Biden. How bad is this situation?
1: It it's horrible. It's not okay. And uh, you know, I think it was today that the uh, the mayor of DC, you know, has said they were going to deploy the National Guard because of the humanitarian crisis that is, that is now occurring in DC from the illegal immigrants that are coming uh to this city. Uh you've had the mayor of New York that's had that that's made comments about the impact on their health care and their education system uh in and, and these are democratic mayors John that are saying what what are you doing to uh, our ability to serve you, you know the citizens that we are, that we had in, in this country in the United States of america and so uh there there are two impacts to illegal immigration, one of them is uh the societal cost and the other one is is the fiscal. There's there's a huge fiscal cost to illegal immigration. And, and now you've got Democratic mayors even calling out the administration, uh, needing the administration to stop this. Now, the humanitarian crisis is, is just as big, potentially bigger in that, you know, we now have twice as we found twice as many bodies. These are the bodies that have been found. There's no telling how many others are, are out there uh this year uh, over last year you've got the fentanyl that is that is coming into uh this country enough fentanyl to kill the, somewhere around 90% of Americans uh it's it's a poison uh, I, I think that some parents have some pretty good ideas that have that have lost children to this horrible drug that maybe we should treat it as a poison not as a drug it is a business for uh the criminal cartels. They generate about thirteen billion a year in revenue based on the estimates that we have. And uh and fifty six of those that we've apprehended so far this year were on the terrorist watch list, John. And so I, I don't understand I, I really can't get through the insincerity of Joe Biden and the far left on this issue of immigration. On, on one hand they're they're literally allowing all of this to happen with their refusal to secure the border. And on the other hand, John, they've had the house, the senate, and the presidency for almost 2 years now. Have they done anything on Daca? I I don't think they've I don't think they've put forward a Daca fix when they've clearly had the ability to do that in a bipartisan manner. And so they they don't care about these people. They don't care about the ones that are inside the United States. If they cared about the DACA recipients, they would have passed a piece of legislation by now. Uh, and they, they certainly don't care uh, about the people that are, that are coming in here uh, that are being found deceased. Uh, and, th- and that's just the one shown on our side of the border. Why would you want the cartels to control anything inside the United States or on the edge of the United States? And that's exactly what they've done.
0: Yep. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. Let me ask you about the mayor, because the mayor of DC is an interesting character. Very eloquent, of course, well-spoken. But when the police in the Trump administration was thinking of deploying National Guard troops around January 6th, her police chief said, don't do it. She said, don't do it. The Biden administration won't deploy National Guard troops down at the border to really stop the flow of people coming in. But when Texas starts busing them up here and they start to feel it in their own backyard, all of a sudden they're okay with National Guard troops here. Are you, you find a little bit of hypocrisy in the D.C. mayor, not for January 6th, not for the border, but eh, my town now is getting overrun by those Texas migrants. Now I'll do it. People see through that, you think?
1: Absolutely. I I mean, they're loyal to the agenda of the far left. And uh, the the problem is the agenda of the far left has now caught them, and so uh, when you're a mayor, you've got a responsibility to govern, and and other Democrats are are rejecting uh, what has happened, and so uh, she's starting to feel the pressure from from other people, and and so she's doing things, and I, I would remind you that this is a mayor who, uh, I mean, look, my wife and I had to walk uh, through. Um, the streets one evening when we when we left the White House and uh, there were Black Lives Matters protesters all around that had encircled the White House. And uh, she told her police to back off, you know. And so my wife and I and uh, several others had to walk through those crowds being constantly harassed. And, and until you got a certain number of blocks from the White House, you were on your own. And so she's a political hack. Uh, none of us up here, uh, in in my party, have have any respect for because because of that, and and her people uh, and the country is paying a price for it.
0: Yeah, really, really remarkable. The. Uh different solutions for different political circumstances, no doubt about it. It's really fascinating. So real quick, add Russia, Ukraine. There seemed like there was a little bit of goodwill going on last week in opening up some of the Ukraine grain lines, but then a bombing right after it. We're in for a long war here. And it does seem like over time now, Russia is starting to make a little bit more gains, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it it is a... Uh... You know, Russia, from the standpoint of of the of just the number of weapons they have, they've got significant overmatch. Uh, the Ukrainians have uh, overmatched them with with love of their country and and heart and uh, and a will to fight. Uh, the Russians are actually, you know, going to prisons and other areas and and you know, getting people to go into the Ukraine. So it, it is a um, it, it's a difficult situation over there. Uh, and in what you know, Russia Russia's strategy is is a Black Sea strategy. If you look at where they're moving, they want to control the Black Sea. Uh, the the talk about the grain, for example, and the ability to move ships. What what I want people to understand is this: if you if if you owned a ship and it was sitting in there at the port of Odessa, and you got permission from Russia, Turkey, and the Ukraine to move that ship that's loaded with grain out of the Black Sea and someone's going to put a minesweeper in front of you and allow you to move that ship, you're probably going to take that risk to get that ship out of there because it's a dead asset for you sitting there at the port. And and it's actually costing you money to keep it there, right? But you're not going to send another ship back in there. And so I I, I think the hope that the world has of the agreement is is a little... um, optimistic because my gut is that the ships that are inside the Black Sea right now will take the risk to actually get to get out and so whatever grain they have on them probably moves out but I don't see any shipping company uh, being willing to send another ship back into the Black Sea and and I certainly don't see an insurance company being willing to insure a ship going into the Black Sea. So I, I think it's kind of a one-and-done type thing where, where the ships that are loaded with grain hopefully get out. Um, but right now, you know, John, Ukraine put about 4 million metric tons a month, close to 50 million metric tons a year into the exports. Right now, they're getting about 1.5 million tons out. Um that's a you know you're talking about somewhere in the i 35 37.5% i guess is the way it shakes out um uh, the world estimates that i'm seeing are still showing somewhere in the 75% that's a that's a huge delta between what we're seeing move on a monthly basis and what the hope is uh for the the world and and i think i, I still think and i, I don't think we see the impact inside the United States the way they see it in Africa and the way they see it in Asia and other places. Um, but I, I still think we've got a, a serious problem with the global food supply that, it, that, is, that we're going to start see, seeing the impacts of it with, within probably the next 90 to 120 days. Yeah,
0: no, it's a real issue and there isn't enough urgency. It doesn't seem in the machinery of government to get ahead of it. It's going to be like probably the baby formula crisis before the afghan withdrawal it seems like we'll be trying to clean things up after the facts rather than get in front of it sir it's such an honor to having this show you always have the compass point at where the next big crisis is and that that's such a great thing to have in washington because there's so few people that have that skill set really appreciate your time today
1: hey thank you so much don talk to you soon sir all right man
0: all right folks when we come back we have a little discussion about the economy with steve moore former trump economic advisor right after this All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just thirty dollars at AMAC. By joining over two million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's amacus forward slash. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Bad economic news, a second quarter of the American economy shrinking, GDP going down 0.9% year over year in the quarter. In any other presidency, this would be declared a recession. And this one, they're fudging it because a lot of the news organizations ahead of this announcement changed their definition of recession. But the truth of the matter is we've hit stagflation, rising inflation and a shrinking economy. And nobody, better to make sense of it, where we are, where we're headed, how we get out of it then the great economist Steve Moore, former advisor to President Trump and now an economic advisor at the Heritage Foundation. Steve, great to have you back on the show. Hi, John, good to be with you. All right, what do you make of these numbers? You predicted them, but now we have them. What do we do from this point forward? Well, look, we're in a
2: mild recession. I think I said that on your show many months ago that this was a mild reception, recession and now it's official. Um, it doesn't really matter what we call this. I mean, the, the, what really matters is how much... Uh, Damage this is doing to American family finances so uh i, I said on Fox the other day that I, I think that the best way to describe this as is a uh, is a uh, uh, recession in people's um uh take home pay uh and that's that's it's not so much the economy's contracting i mean it's contracted a little bit but it what's real the real damage is that the average family has lost since since Biden became president roughly four thousand dollars a year in purchasing power in other words their paychecks are not keeping track and you know the irony of this john is that all the left talks about is inequality right that they're obsessed with that and yet these policies the inflation policy of biden has actually made inequality worse because the people, like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and uh, you know, uh, people like that, are not suffering from high inflation. It's it's working class people and people living on a fixed income, um, you know, ma- making less than sixty thousand dollars that are really feeling the heavy negative effects of this.
0: Even as wages went up, they got outstripped by inflation so much that people were running backwards. It's such an amazing dynamic. Now, one of the good things about a recession, you and I talked about this, is it may help to bring down the inflationary pressure that we're going, except that Democrats seem to have a deal with Joe Manchin and the rest of their party to pour another $700 billion into the economy. Is that a wise move at this very moment? Oh,
2: is that a trick question?
1: <laughs> I mean, <yeah>. <laughs> I mean this, is,
2: this is like pouring kerosene on a, on a forest fire. I mean, it I can't think of anything dumber, John. Seriously. You know, I, already, I get asked by people when I give talks or something to groups, and, and, and I talk about the things that are happening about the economy, the war on American energy, and all these things. And people say, Was this intentional? And I say, No, it's not. I don't think it's intentional. I think they're misguided, but I don't. But when they, the idea that they want to put another $700 billion of spending in taxes on, that, on top of an economy that's already in a recession, I mean, that's inexplicable. And it is economic malpractice. It will cause real damage to the economy. It's going to make inflation worse. It's going to make it... How are you going to create more jobs, John, if you're going to raise taxes on businesses? I mean, does that make any sense?
0: It doesn't. No, not at this moment. It doesn't. And it's mind boggling. And these are smart people. There's no way you can't call Janet Yellen a smart person. She knows how economies work. Is this party, is this Democratic administration so hostage to its left that it basically takes actions that are contrary to their economic training just to keep the left quiet?
2: Well, I I guess I'd say it a little differently. I mean, I think that the the Democratic Party is a left party, so they're not hostage to it. That's who they are. That's what they believe in. They believe in more government, more spending, more regulation of the economy, equality, not opportunity. And so it's distressing because when you and I first came to Washington, it wasn't like that. I mean, you had you know, Democrats like Bill Bradley and Sam Nunn and Dick Gephardt and so on, who, you know, I often disagreed with. But, you know, we'd have good conversations about how to how to make the economy work. And they had some good ideas. We had some good ideas. What is the last? I mean, think of this, John, think of one thing that Biden has done that's helped our economy, because I can't think of any. No,
0: it's uh, listen, everything they've done seems to be in opposition to even some of their own party. I mean, Larry Summers was warning that this dynamic was going to happen. Now they dismissed him. It's remarkable the lack of common sense applied to the decisions they're making. And it seems to me it's going to come at their peril at the ballot box this fall. This seems like the classic pocketbook elections coming up in November.
2: I want to make another point, if I may, because I think it was on your show a couple of months ago that I wanted to award a Nobel Prize to Joe Manchin for saving our country. And uh, literally last night, I could not sleep. I was so distressed by this announcement that and, and I, I can't figure it out. I mean, it, it was Joe Manchin just playing us all along uh, because what he's uh, what he has just, quote, signed off on is the opposite of what he's been saying for the last nine months. You know, he says we can't have more government spending. Taxes are going to hurt the economy. We we need, you know, more American energy. We, we've got to produce our – I mean, he comes from a state that produces more coal and natural gas than almost any other state in the country. And this is a, a bill about uh, trying to continue to destroy our own gas and coal industry and flood the economy with more wind and solar subsidies. So West Virginia would be the big loser in this bill. And I can't understand how we could embrace that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. It is really remarkable to see that uh, approach. And he was the line of last defense. He seems to have cracked for some reason. We don't know why, but. We still have Kristen
2: Cinema. Good point. <laughs> so we'll have to, to, to see where she is. So we, may be our, we may have one last hope that Kristen, and she, by the way, uh, you know, her comment was, what do you think about the deal? She said, what deal? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they kept her in the dark, apparently.
2: She was not at the negotiating table. And uh, look, if she wants to be a hero, uh, she should she should oppose this bill. And uh, right now in in the state of Arizona, she's more popular with Republicans than Democrats. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the other question, John, you know, you're more the political guy than I am. How about these so-called gang of maybe 15 or 20, quote, moderate Democrats in the House? Are they going to vote for this? It looks like, you know, they may just go lockstep. you know. Walk themselves
0: in, off the plank like they did with Obamacare back a decade ago. It might
2: what may well be, but then they're going to be gone. They'll be gone in November.
0: Yeah, they'll be extinct as always. There's an interesting dynamic because I've seen Democrats in prior elections, prior times, play the economy to their advantage with such enormous capability. Bill Clinton, probably the most famous. I feel your pain. George H.W. Bush never could really make the same connection. Joe Biden seems to have a new line, which is, Ignore your pain. Pretend it's not there. Is there a moment where this administration wakes up and say, listen, this is a suicide mission and we've got to stop? Or is there thinking we got a small window, let's dump it all in right now?
2: It's clear it's the latter. It's the latter. And so they they realize that, you know, they have uh, what, three or four more months to make history and, you know, to make their history and to turn America into a big government socialist country. And they're not going to squander this opportunity. And, uh, you know, the problem is, you know, John, I mean, once you pass these laws, hard to roll them back, pretty difficult. Remember, have we gotten rid of Obamacare. I don't think we have. And and by the way, this I want to make another point. This bill vastly expands obamacare and you know how they pay for it they raid medicare
0: they taxes and that's going to come at the expense of seniors isn't it
2: it will and then you know <laughs> i could spend a half hour talking about how horrible this bill is but another thing that i think is really troubling is these price controls on our pharmaceutical industry and look we want all want lower drug prices but We have the greatest pharmaceutical industry in the world. If you look at the last 25 or 30 wonder drugs, they've almost all come from American laboratories and and our our biotechnology and, and pharmaceutical companies. And I guarantee you, if you put price controls on our pharmaceutical industry, you are going to delay the race for the cure for everything from multiple sclerosis to cancer to Alzheimer's to Parkinson's. Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to do that? That's going to cause more pain and suffering for people. Uh, We should be racing forward to get these cures to people who are suffering. And there are costs to these things. And it's not a free lunch, folks, to basically take the profits out of our pharmaceutical industry. So
0: important to remind people that and price controls have never worked in the history of economics. I mean, they've been tried many times and they always seem to have the opposite effect, whether it's been in energy or in any other industry.
2: Well, by the way, we need to put—we do need to put price controls on the gasoline station owners because they're the villains here. They're the ones who are causing stagnation. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that. It, it,
0: I've heard that from someone in the White House. It's not true, but I've heard it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you see the cartoon? One of my favorite cartoons of the year was uh, Biden drives up in his, you know, in, with his police entourage to uh, to a, a state, you know, a, a store, and he's yelling at the at the guy through the window, you know, saying. You know, how dare you raise these prices on consumers? You're just a price gouger. You know, you should bring your gas prices down. And the, the guy behind the counter says, uh, sir, this is a Wendy's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I hadn't seen that, but you're right. This is good. Oh my God, we're in such trouble. I'm going to ask you one question because it starts as a science question, but at the end of the day, it's one of the most important economic questions of the last three years. There was an extraordinary moment on TV late last week over the weekend. Deborah Burks says two years after telling everybody, let's mandate vaccines, that she knew all along that the vaccine was not going to stop infection. Lots of economic forces were altered and changed by the NIH and CDC's rules. To hear the coordinator saying, listen, the thing we were mandating, we kind of knew wasn't going to work. Well, how will history look back at the mandates in their economic ruin versus what we now know to be the limited value of the approach they took?
2: Well, I'll add, I'll, I'll answer in a kind of broad uh, stroke fashion. I, I think uh, our, our, our um, elected officials and our government officials lied to us uh, in many ways about COVID. And um, this was the excuse for shutting down the economy. This was the shut, excuse for shutting down our schools and our hospitals and our churches. And it had catastrophic effects on our, on our, our lives and especially children. And, I'm the big loser here is science, because nobody—I don't know who to trust anymore. You know, there's a big story in the um, science magazine treatments that that uh, don't work, where the, where the, basically the uh, the researchers, you know, basically um, trust the science. I think science has really taken a big whack here. We don't we don't trust the science because too often it's either misreported or it's just simply wrong. Yeah
0: it's pretty remarkable and that wasn't the case for many many years in history it's a recent development because of the personalities and the proclamations that were made that weren't based in fact or science or knowledge yet they were making guesses and we made big economic decisions based on them and it's it's just remarkable
2: well you know there's a saying john that um and it's unfortunately is true and i don't say this with any joy or happiness but all science today is political science that is there's a political twist almost all of the stuff that's coming out. Um, and that's why Americans are rightly skeptical of when they hear people say they know, you know, that scientists say, we know this is going to happen or that's going to happen because they've just been wrong so often. And that's not to say, you know, we should trust good science, but it's, it's harder and harder to know what is good science and what isn't.
0: Yeah, what a remarkable moment. One of the greatest scientific countries in all of history, and yet not being able to trust some of the science coming out of our government is is a remarkable thing. All right, last question. You look at the economic forces. We know what's going to happen. We know this is a pocketbook election in November. What will everyday Americans feel and see based on what you're studying in the economy the next six months? Are we in a stagflation moment, and what will that feel like for everyday Americans?
2: Yeah, we are. I mean, inflation is going to stay high at least through the next few months, And then I think it will start to come down a bit because the Fed's actions, they have a delayed effect. But then I think you're going to see a slowdown in the, you know, in the employment situation. Um, So we're in a tough period. And you have to ask the question, where's the growth going to come from? And it gets back to the start of this conversation. Everything that Biden and the Democrats have been talking about are (laughs) anti-growth. So... I can't say I'm really optimistic right now because we have a a regime in Washington that is just so contrary to what's in the interests of, uh, they want to grow the government. You and I want to grow our private businesses and our household incomes and, uh, you know, our small businesses.
0: Remarkable time to see the effect of a big government. Our founding fathers always worried about it. Joe Biden doubled down on it, and now we're beginning to see what a big government does to a free market economy. Steve, it's always an honor to have you on. You always make sense of a lot of complicated stuff. Really great time to spend with you today.
2: Thank you so much, John. Take care.
0: Yeah, you as well. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these commercial messages.
2: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. I'm really excited to join today. Two great interviews. Wow. Steve Moore basically saying that what the Biden administration is doing with the economy is economic malpractice. To put $700 billion of more spending in a build that better light thing on this economy, economic malpractice, very important. And then, of course, all of the cogent things that Congressman Scott said, all of them should matter a lot to you on the border, on China buying up farmland, there is... A lot to be addressed here. Thanks so much for listening today. Before you go, I just want to give you a reminder: We have so many great partners, advertisers, sponsors who have great services, great products, many of which I use and promote because I love them and I think they do so much. One of them is our good friends at the Heritage Foundation. They have one of my favorite news sites, one I check every morning, The Daily Signal. It's your source for easy to digest and honest reporting. And if you want to sign up and get the ultimate lineup of what The Daily Signal is producing each day, they're very much like Just the News. They do some great work. I love them. All you got to do is go to dcmorningnews.org. Go to dcmorningnews.org. Sign up, get a newsletter. It is must-read, must-consume news. Trust it, good journalists. The Daily Signal is a very impressive group. Don't miss out on your chance to get great news from our good friends at the Heritage Foundation and their Daily Signal every day, 24-7. It is worth it. All right, folks, have a great night. God bless you. God bless this great country of America. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike, you and your family